Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax, audit, and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Happy New Year. Welcome again to the most widely watched program on Carolina business policy and public affairs for 28 years now. I'm Chris William, and this is part two of our annual economic review and this time forecast. Each year, right around now, we gather together our four resident economists to take a look back on where we were last year. But on this installment, we will spend this half hour looking ahead to 2019 and beyond. Is the economy going to slow this year? Has it already begun? How are people and businesses planning for the inevitable? Is it the inevitable? How will U.S.-China trade become a bigger issue if it does? What about labor? What about housing? What about the cost of oil? We will wade into these issues and start in just a moment. Gratefully acknowledging support by Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, the economic forecast for 2019, featuring guest panelists Sarah House of Wells Fargo Securities, Dr. Matt Martin from the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, Charlotte Branch, Dr. John Connerton of UNC Charlotte, and Dr. Doug Woodward from the University of South Carolina. Happy holidays. Welcome to our program. Uh, Happy New Year. Good to have you all here. Welcome to part two. Happy New Year. Thanks. We're going to spend the next half hour talking about now. Last week we talked about 2018. What about 2019? I mean, this I guess this is where the rubber meets the road. So, Sarah, um, what about 2019? Is this going to be the year that we look back on some chart to say, yeah, that's when the slowdown began? Short answer, yes. So last really? year we saw we saw growth really juiced up by the fact you had a lot of fiscal stimulus coming coming through, um, and then this year that's going to begin to fade. It's still going to be supportive, but not as supportive as what we saw last year. And at the same time, we have monetary policy tightening and interest rates going higher. And sh you know, bottom line is we've been growing uh, faster than what really is the economy's sustainable pace. So we do expect to mm -hmm. see a, a moderation toward towards that longer run trend this year. Is this big fiscal stimulus? stimulus package that happened in the beginning of last year, John. Is this like the opioid for the economy that at some point we're going to have to back off? Uh, no, I think Sarah's right. I, I think that we've seen uh, fiscal stimulus last year in 18. Um, we're starting to probably start to see some fiscal contraction this year. We're certainly seeing some monetary contraction. Um, the labor markets are super tight. And while we brought in, we, we've increase the labor force participation rate a little bit in 2018. This is not sustainable. As the baby boomers age, we know for the next couple of decades that actually the labor force in the United States is going to shrink. So all of those things point to we're going back to 2% growth. Now, that doesn't mean it's a recession. It just simply means that we're going to slow down the rate of growth. Put it in perspective, <clears throat> right now we're sitting at 114 months Mm -hmm. of expansion. Mm -hmm. Second longest on record, we have 33 expansions that the National Bureau of Economic Research has categorized since 1854. Uh, 120 is the longest, which happened in the 90s. 
Uh, by June, we will have surpassed that, and there's every expectation that we will. So we're, you know, we're entering uncharted territory, but there's just nothing sitting out there saying, oh, goodness gracious, it's scary. That would unhinge that? Yeah, it's gonna Slow it down, absolutely. We've already started to see that. Uh, put it in the negative territory, I don't think in 2019. So, so the f not to ask proprietary information of the Federal Reserve, because I know we couldn't get it anyway, but Matt, is it, is it slowing or is it a recession in 2019? What's the, di what are the, what's the di dialogue? Uh, there's no indication of a recession uh, based on where we sit today. So things look really good now. If you talk to businesses, and it's not proprietary, we just go out and chat with a lot of businesses. They, as far as they can see, things are going to look good heading into 2019. But there is, um, there's a little bit of an attitude change, and I'd, I'd call it questioning. You know, we've had this good run. Uh, when's it going to end? Is becoming the question. Mm -hmm. But there's not a there's not a, a massive imbalance in the economy you can point to and say it's going to be that thing. And I, I was in the private sector uh, ahead of the Great Recession, and everybody knew housing and housing finance was an issue. I don't think many knew how that would play out, but you knew there was a big imbalance in the economy at the time, and mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to find something that stands out like that right now. G give us a dissenting opinion here, Doug, or do you agree with what you've heard so far? Okay, there's going to be a recession next year. Everybody <laughs> wants you. one. <laughs> you know, we, we need some news, you know, uh, you know but you know, it's, it's like the weather in California. It's just, you know, it doesn't change, you know, and uh, so, you know, we, we, need, we need something to talk about, I guess. So uh, you slow but, down or a recession? Oh, Definitely a slowdown uh, for the reasons that, that everyone's been, been saying here. We, we are predicting that in South Carolina as well, slightly slower uh, employment growth, but no recession. So you all around this table know this better than I, but the, the single largest element of the gross domestic product is this idea of consumer spending. Um, how corrosive are the politics of the day, are the U.S.-China trade relations, are um, just in general, how corrosive is that to uh, confidence of the consumer and confidence of business? And, and could that undermine growth? $64 question. It's a great question. Um, if we look back to 2011, the summer of 2011, think back, think back, <laughs> um, when, there was a, when we were arguing about the debt ceiling and we were up against it and we saw consumer confidence. Now again, consumers were a lot more skitterish in 11 than they are today. Uh, and we saw consumer confidence dip tremendously and take a lot of the steam for the remainder of 2011 and early 2012 out of the recovery that we were seeing at that point in time because of the threat of this of a default, mm -hmm. uh, which never would have happened, but... But just the threat of yeah. it. Yeah, and, and now we're so much higher in consumer confidence. Consumer confidence is not at an all-time high, but it's it's pretty close to as high as it gets, if you will. And uh, But I think the consumers are a little more savvy right now in terms of what goes on in Washington. Um, and I think they just view it as another big TV reality show. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the kinds of issues that we're going to confront in 2019 uh, are going to spoil consumers. I think they're going to look at, oh, what's the unemployment rate? What are my job prospects? the traditional things that we think drive consumer confidence. So right before, right before Christmas, there was a, if, if life were a movie trailer, there would have been a, a premiere of how uh, the executive branch in, in Congress was going to get along, and it happened in the Oval Office, and it seemed pretty acrimonious. And uh, so, Sarah, anyone who wants to jump in on this one, if that 
if that type of attitude pervades going forward and we end up what happened in 2011 and they're playing chicken with the federal budget, which could bring a whiff of default back again, isn't this something to be genuinely concerned about? I think it's certainly not helpful, but it, you know, if we look at the overall fundamentals of, of the consumer, I mean, if you you know their job situation's a heck of a lot better than we've seen um, during the the last kind of scares uh, around this the same issue. Um, their balance sheets are in a lot better position too, and so I think there's still a lot of wherewithal to continue spending at, at a pretty strong rate, um, especially if you look at the savings rate, what they're what you're looking at in terms of debt service. That I think could could filter out some of some of the noise that that we're seeing out, out of Washington. But yes, on, on the margin, I think it is gonna make mm -hmm. uh, households a little bit more more skittish perhaps, maybe a little bit more more conservative, but there's more means to, to continue spending as, as well. Does Fed Chairman Powell, does anyone in the Federal Reserve feel like there's, okay, we need to deploy these tools to help stabilize any fiscal argument that goes on? So any time any of these actions have an effect on, on the economy, obviously it comes into consideration. So in this case, suppose there is a little bit of a, a wobble in financial markets. Maybe, maybe there's some changes at the long end of the yield curve, right? So foreign money, we still have, we're still a safe haven. If that were to sort of ebb back out the other way and longer rates were to tick up faster than expected, that's a change that, that would have an impact on the economy. You'd have to account for that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about economic development in light of all these things. Doug, uh, South Carolina. So, mm -hmm. um, current Secretary of Commerce Bobby Hitt has yeah. agreed to stay on now. He is yeah. a stabilizing in influence. And in fact, I would say the not so secret weapon in South Carolina's arsenal to win a lot of business. He's been great. He has, he has been truly uh, pretty amazing for the Palmetto State. What do, what do you see now in 2019 and beyond for economic development? Will it continue okay. to be healthy? Yeah. Will trade? eventually even out what's your oh i think it's going to be healthy uh even with trade uh we might see an announcement on an engine plant coming into the carolinas for the first time in autos uh, at least there's been discussion about that with some of the automakers which would be great for building out our cluster so manufacturing is is going to be strong uh as, thanks to our commerce department they had a real focus on that and mm -hmm. it's it's going to continue into this year i think one interesting thing though with uh, economic development that we haven't discussed is uh, something championed by our Senator Tim Scott called Opportunity Zones. I don't know if you're familiar with those, yeah. but there are just, it's going to be a lot of discussion around these this year. It's it, potentially billions of dollars of investment that can go into disadvantaged communities uh, from unrealized capital gains. And this was part of the tax bill last year. The rules are now being written, and the Federal Reserve is involved in this, too, in promoting it. Uh, we're going to hear a lot of discussion about this Opportunity Zone uh, uh, as part of economic development. Do you know more? Have you heard about that? Well, they're, they're, this is playing out a little differently in every state because yep. each state designated their own zones, so they look a little different as you go from state to state. But it's a new tool that you can marry with some existing tools intended to help uh, disadvantaged They're communities. quite different than empowerment zones right. or anything else in the past. Incentives? In traditional incentives? Well, Access it's federal incentive. money. It's, it's, it's capital gains, uh, deferral or, um, or reduction in the capital gains on, on unrealized capital gains over the last, you know, people who have made a lot of money and now can put these into these funds and uh, the investment has to go into these designated zones. Um, and I think it has, has real, uh, really 
a lot of potential for is us. There, is there a sympathy state. at the state house to lean into this? Yes, they're doing it already. Yeah, yeah here uh, in North Carolina as well as South Carolina. And speaking of North Carolina, John, so North Carolina's had a bit of a uh, on again, off again. This is my term, on again, off again, success and not so success. Hoping for Apple, Apple decided Austin, <laughs> Texas. <laughs> hoping for a few things, but also some big win wins. Honeywell, Advanced Auto. Et cetera, et cetera. So how does it, how does North Carolina fare in economic development? A couple of things. One, as far as our ability to attract the the, the big trophy hunt uh, industries, uh, we pale compared to South Carolina. We just have not put the resources in or the energy in to really make a change in that. We've fallen short in a lot of issues uh, over 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 time. Uh, just to give you one, uh, on several occasions in the last couple of decades, we've shot at trying to get a Volvo plant. Well, we know where the Volvo plant wound up. Now, it's under different ownership than it was when we were dealing with it. But Chinese. We now, yeah, the Chinese now mm -hmm. own Volvo. But we, we, the plant wound up in, in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. So in terms of these big um, issues, I should say the, the big economic development firms, we, we've been pretty unsuccessful at that. You think part of, is, is part of that um, maybe the social brand that North Carolina has or doesn't have? I think it's more the social brand that South Carolina has. I mean, South Carolina has a cultural desire, if you will, to win these cases and change the economy of South Carolina dramatically mm -hmm. through this process. And quite frankly, Chris, they've been incredibly successful the last two decades at this. Even with the high concentration in one, one and one subset industry, and I, I'm talking about aerospace and, and automotive. But they're important industries, big yes. job generators. But they're big. Nope. They're big, high-ticket, yeah. yeah. susceptible it, to cyclical, uh, right? No? Sure. And yeah. to trade wars. Yeah. Yes. And to trade wars. Right. Sarah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sarah, how do you come down on this issue about economic development in the states going forward? Well, I mean, I think it's been an important avenue. And I think the, the issue we've seen is that the, the growth has been concentrated in a lot of uh, the same urban urban areas. And so the, the trick has been trying to get that spread out through different parts of, of the various states to get a, a more even recovery and expansion. Can you, can it, Matt, can you balance an urban-rural economic development plan uh, considering that there are different attributes of living in a city and living in the country. Uh, there are, and I think uh, where we are now in the business cycle, I think both it's a matter of finding labor, right? Mm -hmm. So down toward Charleston, it's got to be an issue. It is. Uh, finding labor <laughs> yeah. for, for the projects that are already going in, let alone new ones. I, I think, you know, if you look at more upstate South Carolina, some of those projects are, I'd, they're, I'd call them rural. They're on the outskirts of mm -hmm. Charlotte, sort of the exurbs and beyond. On the I-85 corridor? Yeah, We're starting down to see that below spread Fort into, Mill yeah. and, and mm -hmm. some of those places. I think that'll be an interesting experiment. So you yeah. you might sort of have the benefits, at least uh, living-wise, of being in a metro area and have the reverse commute out to a yeah. little more rural area. But I imagine that's going to have a pretty significant impact on some of those communities. So we, we did touch on this uh, in last week's program, but I want to I want to drill down a little bit more, Sarah, and then John. I'll give you a chance because I I know you have an opinion on this. You've done a lot of work. Uh, labor, so labor becomes tighter, um, less people entering the workforce eventually, or or at least a smaller number. Um, is this where we're going to see the specter of inflation? Will it become a real thing? 
I think we'll, we'll see some stronger inflation pressure, particularly coming from higher labor costs. So we'll see it a little bit more in, in the service sector. On the goods side, so we're facing you know potential tariffs, so that mm -hmm. it could, could very well be inflationary, but at the same time, the jitters around the trade war have also helped strengthen the dollar. So that's kind of offset some of our, our import costs as, as well. At the same time, we still have a lot of tremendous technology mm -hmm. that keeps getting integrated in, in these products and helping keep costs cost low as it's either you know uh, cheaper to produce or easier to compare prices, which has been pressuring some some retailers' margins. So um, I think we'll we'll probably see inflation drift up. So we're looking at maybe a little over two percent on, on kind of the key gauge that that the Fed watches, but nothing nothing really alarming where we think the Fed's going to really have to to ratchet up the pace of of interest rate hikes. So John, uh, labor uh, going forward, not just 2019 and beyond this. Uh, you know, you just said it on the other show, and I want to bring this back up. You said that, we, you know, we're, we're, we're short of workers. We can't find enough workers. But everyone can't find enough workers. So doesn't that kind of reset the baseline? Well, so who's going to pay for them? I mean, I think we are looking in 2019, we're probably going to see for the first time the wage, and we've been talking about this for a decade in this expansion, <laughs> yeah. but we're going to start to see wages outpace just about everything else. I mean, companies are going to be looking at what they can do and what they can produce mm -hmm. and realize that labor is is the critical, uh, you know, bending point here. And, and they're going to try, we're going to see wages increase mm -hmm. and we're going to see that basically become inflationary over 2019. Sorry, I'd, I'd also yeah. add though that we're also seeing productivity strengthen, and yeah. so that's helping keep some of those in, uh, those wage pressures. And at, that has at bay been a concern. Where, yeah, productivity, sure, isn't it? Sure, we're we're paying yeah. workers uh, at a faster rate, but they're also producing more too. So yeah. that's that's going to be a. I think factor. if this labor market stays tight like this, um, what we're going to see is finally firms invest in the technologies, mm -hmm. AI, and yeah. and other technologies that have been out there that they haven't invested mm -hmm. in. There's mm -hmm. labor-saving technology available to them. We're starting to see mm -hmm. it happen yep. already. Mm -hmm. Do you think 2019 might be a year that we even hear more about the environment, about climate change, about global warming, in, in corporate lexicon and addressing that, uh, carbon tax, being more aggressive about shutting down coal production? Not out of Washington. I don't yeah, think I that's going to uh, happen. Will it be for? Will it be more in utility in the utility? Space? I don't think no, you're going to see p push for carbon tax legislation. Yeah. I mean, there have been a lot of times when the politics was a little bit more uh, comfortable with that, mm -hmm. and it, it never came to pass. And so, yeah. I don't think in 2019 we're going to see that as a big issue. No, nobody's say, jumping in. Well, there. I'd say I'd say one thing though is is you are seeing more corporate-led initiatives on these, maybe not specifically for for carbon tax, but an an effort to be, be more environmentally yeah. friendly and and almost using it as a as a competitive advantage of of a marketing tool yeah. in in many ways or in in some production. Um, you know, the the food industry is a good example of ways to actually cut their own costs by maybe being um, you know more more efficient with water usage things things like that and so I, I think if to the extent you see it it will be led more certainly more for from the corporate side Matt Matt is that is that good policy and you is that good policy or is that good for branding of corporations Do it's, you it's good economics so what Sarah's talking about is stuff that is either consumer driven so the company's responding because their customers want products that are more uh, more environmentally sound or even employee and I could see we're talking about labor market shortages. You do what you can to attract employees. If, if you have a labor force that is interested in this issue, 
you get more engaged as a company as, a, as another way to attract a, a skilled labor force. Uh, and while global carbon foot, or carbon emissions are increasing, U.S. carbon emissions have been dropping over the last several years as a result of some of the, the initiatives mm -hmm. that the private sector has engaged in on their own for a variety of reasons. I think partly branding. I think it's been a big issue for a number of companies to try to be greener or at least appear greener. Uh, go. We got we got less than ten minutes left. Um, uh, so when we talk about labor markets, tight labor markets, do you think they're this year or beyond or within the next 36 months? And John, I'll start with you. Do you think there's an opportunity for an immigration policy that becomes more sympathetic to the labor challenges within the U.S.? Not so much about the social aspect, but more about the demographic. Now, are you asking me if I would prefer or if I think it's going to happen? What, what is your <laughs> best academic mind think? Think that there won't be that much in the way of any type of immigrant. We have a big problem, a hurdle to get over with this wall issue that's not going to go away anytime in the next this year, okay? Um, and until we start to deal with that, we can't begin to deal with DACA, we can't begin to deal with an intelligent um, in immigration policy that, you know, models something like Canada does, where they look at occupational issues and they change the quotas based on occupations. So, you, Doug, do you think that immigration is going to be tied more to the principle of the politics or how immigration plays into the workforce of the U.S.? I think it'll be the politics. Actually, immigration's down anyways. It's been falling now for about 10 years. Uh, just people don't realize it, but they see it in the headlines, so they're concerned about it. And I, I think that that's what gets Washington whipped up into a frenzy, at least the, the Trump administration about this. But from a business uh, point of view, you know, immigration is, is starting to hit the labor market. You know, uh, it's an important part of construction, food processing, uh, landscaping, up to 50%, tourism. I understand 50% yeah, of those so workers. Yeah, so it gets back into the labor shortages. I mean, they really should be working on that. This is a time when we really do need immigrants at, at both both uh, low skilled and I also agree you know we should follow Canada we we benefit a lot from mm -hmm. high skilled immigration which is something I ho hope they finally come around to understanding in Washington Sarah you've done a lot of work around immigration or around labor how does this play how does this immigration idea play into it well, it's been a, a huge source of, of growth in the labor force. So if you look at over the past 20 years, about half the growth in, in the labor force has actually come from foreign-born workers. And so to the extent that we're seeing, we're seeing immigration decline and, and maybe um, not the most hospitable in, environment, or right. um, I, I think it's, it's definitely a headwind to labor force growth, which we're already seeing slow just based on the pure demographics of our own country. So does anything take the slack if immigration's not going to backfill that mm. workforce? Well, I think to, to some extent, maybe you see some increase in, in participation, but I think there's some more secular challenges there. Um, but I think, you know, to Doug's point earlier is, you know, we'll probably see some some capital investment pick up in, in some labor-saving technology, particularly given that there is a lot of uncertainty around these immigration policies. You don't know if, okay, maybe you can get these worker visas this year, but can you next year? It's and even so happening in agriculture. A, a more permanent yeah. fix, which is, is that capital investment. Is that the H-2B visa worker? You're talking about agriculture? No, I, I was saying the labor-saving technology is mm -hmm. being introduced okay. into agriculture. Oh, okay. You would be surprised to know that, but uh, it's true. You got to make a quick point on no, that. No, I was just going to say that you, you, there's one thing for certain that I don't think a lot of Americans are, are, com are, are clear about, and that is over the next two decades, the domestically domestic labor force, domestically produced mm -hmm. labor force for people who are here already, 14 
to, uh, to excuse me, 15 to 19 year olds and 10 to 14 year olds. Those that those groups are smaller than the groups of baby boomers who are going to be retiring over the next decade. So our inventory of workers is going down. The, yeah, there's no question that the, the, the labor force, the population, a work age population is going to go down over the next 10 to 15 years, gradually each and every year. That's a fact. You, you, you know, we can't go ahead and make 14 year olds. Well, it might, we, we, we John, have what we've got. I've heard you say that before and I keep thinking, well, it's not, it's not important what I think, but it seems like with technology on the rise, workforce going that's down. The, there are two ways out of this, and that's one is to change the immigration rules in this country and recognize that immigration is an important asset in terms of our expanding economy and or some combination of productivity increases, which is what Matt was talking okay, yeah. about earlier. We have, we have two minutes left, and I want to get everyone on this. Matt, what do you, when you look toward 2019 and beyond, what are you most encouraged about? The uh, probably the momentum we're carrying in from from 2018. Now we talked about a slowdown because of uh, fiscal stimulus coming off and the and the like. But the the basic conditions look really good. There's everybody's. You talk to any business and they'll say things are really good right now. And we're right at the end of the year, so that that's going to carry forward into the start yeah. of 2019. Okay, Sarah, what do you think? What do, what do you encourage about? Similarly, um, specifically the consumer, um, just the overall strength of, of what we're seeing, uh, both in terms of income growth, but um, where they are in, in their savings rate, their, their debt picture. I think there's a lot of wherewithal for, for consumers to continue spending at a pretty solid rate in, in the upcoming year. Okay. So that's, that's going to help underpin growth next year. All right. Dr. Woodward? We totally can. agree with Sarah, the consumer. Uh, the balance sheets are really healthy right now. Debt service payments are low. We're nothing like we were 10 years ago. We're yeah. in really good shape going into 2019. Yeah. John, what do you think? Surprised at how strong the economy is this far into an expansion. It's really surprising to me. Um, the only thing that I'm concerned about is tightness in the labor market going forward yeah. and its effects if we cannot have productivity increases because that's really the only way we're going to be able to solve that problem. You know, I, I am encouraged that you all are encouraged and for good reasons <laughs> and not and not just uh, sympathetic or, or little, yeah. something a little bit more romantic. Uh, thank you for being on the program. John, Doug, good to see you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sarah, always. thanks for mixing thanks. it up with this gang. You know, yeah. Happy to. Cannot be sympathetic all the time, but they're good. <laughs> good to see you, Matt. Thank thanks. you. Thank you for watching. Happy New Year. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by the Duke Endowment, Barings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.com.